Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Carol, and I'm the college minister here at Calvary. And I am glad to welcome you here today. If you are a visitor, we would love for you to fill out one of these cards so that we have the opportunity to get, you, get to know you a little bit better. If you'll just fill it out and place it in the offering plate a little bit later in this service, uh, that'll give us an opportunity to just follow up and send you an email uh, later in the week um, just to introduce ourselves to you. Um, earlier uh, this past weekend, I uh, had the opportunity to be at Baylor's Church Fair, and it's always an interesting time as student after student after student after student after student after student walks by, and uh, they come up and I say, "Hi, are you, have you heard of Calvary?" And they're like, "No, what are you know? What is Calvary?" And I'm like, "All right, <laughs> Calvary." And um, it's, you know, kind of hard to put words uh, to what is Calvary. Um, and I often uh, try to describe Calvary by uh, talking about three things. I talk about how Calvary is a place of just some of the people who I admire most, um, some truly wonderful people of deep faith, um, people of all different type of backgrounds, faith backgrounds, um, people who've had different experiences, but people who I admire. I talk about a community who truly cares for one another, a college group of, though it's small, a life group feel that of students who care about one another, but a larger congregation of people who are um, just deeply care for one another. And then I talk about a, a group of people where Christ is our center, a people who uh, love God and love other people. And I think that that last reason is kind of the reason for the first two. And so um, as we worship together, I would encourage us maybe to, during the songs, to look around, to see faces, to remember the deep bonds between us, uh, to be thankful uh, for the people around us and the great gifts that they have. To be thankful for the God who loves us uh, and who has called us here today and for Christ who is our center. Welcome to worship.
God, let us know the rest and restoration that comes from true worship. Lord, send your spirit to free us from the stubbornness of our will, the foolishness of our thoughts, and the addiction of our hearts to things of this world. May your spirit cleanse us, Lord, abide in us, and teach us truly to love one another. Lord, as we worship you together, may we be united as a church body and more committed to better serve Christ in this community. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
I invite the children to join me in the front. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. So today in worship, we are starting to talk about Calvary's vision statement. So let's first talk about what a vision statement is, and let's break it down. What is vision? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So vision is what you see, and using your eyes gives vision. Anyone else? That's good. That is one type of vision, seeing and looking and being able to see. Sometimes we talk about having bad vision and needing glasses, kind of like what you're talking about. Vision can also be like a dream or an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> kind of imagining it. Yeah, you're right. And that's kind of like the vision of the church, of a group of people. The vision for the church is when you see or you think about what the church is and what the future of the church might look like and where the church is headed. And in that sense, it's about having a big imagination for what the church is and the plan for the church. So what is a statement. Moving on, we're talking about vision statements. What is a statement? Yes. Mm-hmm. A fact, something that you state and say. Yes. Something you say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, a sentence with a period at the end, great. Awesome, it's a clear thought, usually written down, kind of like what y'all were saying, that says something, it's a fact, it's a point of view or a plan. So all together, a vision statement for the church, for Calvary, tells us about Calvary's thoughts and plans and what Calvary is. It's a word that guides the church and shows us where to go. And it helps us to make decisions and think about who we are now and where God is leading us. Mm -hmm. Right, a period as opposed to an exclamation point. Yeah, <laughs> great. Okay, so the vision statement of Calvary, the phrase that we're talking about today is Calvary Baptist Church is a Christ-centered community of faith. What does that mean to be Christ-centered community? Christ-centered community of faith. What's a community? Yeah. Group of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Community of faith celebrates God. Great. You're gonna say the same thing. What were you gonna say, Darren? Mm-hmm, a group of people working together. What about the Christ-centered part? What does that mean? Yes. Okay, yes. It could mean 
Christ-centered. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so it should mean that they are focused on the, the Bible and the scriptures are just learning about God. Mm-hmm. Focused on the Bible and focused on learning about God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Christians, followers of Jesus. That's right. Christ-centered. To follow Jesus and to live like Jesus did. Is that what we do as a church together? Yeah. Yep. Let's join in prayer. Thank you for sharing. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for guiding us always and helping us to know how to live and how to be friends and to be in relationship with one another, God. Thank you for giving us this community that we can grow in and learn about you. Continue to give us a plan and help us to know where to go and what to do as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2001, just before Brenda and I came to Calvary, there was a big meeting that happened actually just two weeks before we were a part of this congregation. And it was a church-wide meeting that was referenced and referenced and referenced for a long time and really had a lot to say about how our church changed and grew and thrived. And I thought it would be an interesting uh, little travel backward this morning if we talked about that a bit. Don, can you tell us where that happened, why it happened, what the context of it was? Uh, essentially for about three years after Pastor Julie had been with us, leading us, um, we had been through a time where we had worked awfully hard as a church to be the first church in Texas to have a female pastor and get through all the rough waters of that. And we looked up and, and Julie said to us one day in a leadership uh, council meeting, she said, yeah, I think we're flat. I don't think we've got enough energy in our 
congregation, and we began to pray about that and to think about why we were um, kind of just going through the motions. And we realized that everyone was working really hard at their jobs, and a lot of people had jobs, and that was taking a lot of energy. And so we began to toy with the idea of uh, our work was getting in the way of our worship. It was getting in the way of the spirit that brought us together as a church. And so we began to think about um, kind of unsettling ourselves, if you will. We gathered over at uh, Cashion, uh, part of the business school at Baylor, on a Friday night and a Saturday. And um, we decided to um, let the Spirit of God take us through the weekend and um, explore what being a Spirit-led church would be all about. Thanks, Don. Sherry, this week when we were having a little chat about this time in our church's history, you um, admitted, you know, I was a bit anxious and maybe I was a bit late to um, jump onto this idea. Talk about how you felt and, and how that was for you. Um, as Don said, I could embrace a lot of the changes that were being on, put on the table and knew that we needed them. We were tired. But there were some things that directly affected me and my ministry and how I did things that I was being pushed in a way that I wasn't very comfortable with. And um, I really had to wrestle with that. Um, I remember a young lady, many of you will know, um, Lee, I think Jackson is her last name. And she sat at the table with me and she said, why, we know why we came to Calvary. Why are we trying to turn it all around? And I think those were questions that some of us wrestled with, not 100%, but in, in some specific ways, it, it was um, challenging for me. Tiffany, you were a new member of Calvary at that time. You were a um, younger, unmarried woman who had just returned to Waco and join this church. What was this like for you? How did it feel from your perspective? Sure. Well, to be honest, at first I was struck that the church would be willing to give up so much time. This is a church full of uh, busy students and professionals and busy parents and folks who have lots of obligations and responsibilities during the week. So to see hundreds of people gladly gather on a Friday evening and on a Saturday was powerful to me as a new member. I'd been raised in a church but had never experienced um, that kind of a meeting before. And second, I was really moved that folks seemed to value my opinion so much. I was brand new and yet they really wanted to know my thoughts and ideas and opinions and I left that weekend feeling like my voice really mattered and not just in the Sunday school class I'd recently joined but mattered to a larger group of people. And then finally I was so delighted to discover that these people were dear friends both in and outside of church. It was a very relational weekend. We gathered at local restaurants for dinner on Friday and spent a lot of time engaged in just normal friendship type conversation. And I, again, left the weekend feeling like folks wanted to know me for much more than just maybe who I presented myself on Sunday morning, but they wanted to know the whole me. 
Tom, as we um, think about this weekend, what are some of the changes that occurred in our church? What are some of the things that we still do today that kind of have their root in that weekend? First, I want to thank you for, pat for patience in thinking that I would remember that far back. <laughs> I know you uh, have I'm, a wife I'm, who remembers I'm at Tom. the age in second childhood when I'm about three and a half years old. But two things that I also had some reservations because there was some per peripheral piffle out there at that time that I didn't feel comfortable about at that time that it would grow larger. But the key to it was that in those meetings, people spoke honestly and with respect for each other, listening to different people's viewpoints. But specifically what occurred was from that emerged the church council. I remember someone, my wife reminded me this week, that someone in, the, in our church congregation said at that time that we were so busy that sometimes in worship they were spending time, now who can serve on that committee? Now that's not good when we spend more attention to that than the message of the gospel. So that was positive. The church council crystallized that. Then there were some changes that developed in the way we restructured several things, one of which was the deacon body. So that was positive change that resulted by open discussion. Thank you. As we look back on that, uh, what are some ways that you all specifically saw the hand of God in that weekend? Sherry, what about you? Um, I told Randall earlier, when you walk through a picket line with your young children to come to church, that profoundly changes you. And I think when we got inside this building, we knew really what those words, we pledge ourselves to be the family of God for you in this place, really mean. We've been here long enough, Don, too, to know when we started saying that blessing. So um, I, I think I, the big takeaway for me from that whole experience was even though it was a struggle for me at some points, I knew that the people in that room were my family and that we could struggle with it in healthy ways and we could come to a better place. And I think that we did. Tom, what about you? I think it goes back to part of what I said before. There were some pretty meaningful disagreements within our group, but we disagreed agreeably. And we listened to each other. And that's a very important part, to not only listen, but to hear. And around that table, as an example, that was done. And I think from that, we noticed that other transpiring on things you've mentioned and others. People listen heard, and part of the attitude adjustment in a positive way took place. We see the hand of God often in the moment, and then often we see the hand of God in looking back. What are some ways that you all have seen the hand of God when you reflect on this experience? You know, for me, uh, one of the things that all of us appreciate about our worship experience here are the testimonies of our people that actually began that weekend, that people were quite willing to share openly about real life for them. Um, and our music began to take on a different form, particularly after you joined us. But a lot of what happens in worship now uh, was birthed from that gathering that allowed the Spirit of God to show up through his people. Um, 
And I would add that that um, almost sense of awe that I came away with knowing that people really wanted to know me has only grown in the last 15 years. We are a very relational church, and I love that. And I love that many of us are friends or even roommates outside of church, and we bring that back in to our worship and our church life, but then we bring our church life back out into our regular seven-day-a-week world. Thank you. I want to say thank you to this group. Uh, this week we have been emailing back and forth and have had some meaningful conversations about what this time meant to our church and what it might mean to our future. And I thank you for the way that your um, conversation this week has really renewed my faith and my fervor for what we do here at Calvary. Thank you. A reading from the book of Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. A reading from the Gospel according to John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, 
thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be the center of 
O Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes so that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O God. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In her memoir, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott tells the story of a little girl who was wandering around town one day when she lost her way from home. And she ran up and down the streets into the big town where she lived, but the little girl couldn't find a single landmark to point her in the right direction. She was frightened until a police officer stopped to help her. He put her in the passenger seat of his car and they drove around town until finally the little girl saw her church. She pointed it out to the police officer and said, you can let me out now. I can see my church and I know that I can always find my way home from here. Today we begin a new season here at Calvary. If you weren't here last week, it was our pastor's last Sunday after seven great years of ministry with us here at Calvary. And we spent the day together celebrating him and his family and blessing them as they begin their next chapter at First Baptist Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Jim emailed me this week and says it's very hot, but that they are starting to get settled down. And today, we begin a new chapter, too. Now, oftentimes, when we hear the word interim, we might think of it as a holding place, a time of transition, or maybe a time of uncertainty about what is next. And while those things may be true, I would like to add today that I think interims can be incredibly hopeful times for congregations. Times for prayerful discernment and self-discovery. Times for dreaming together about who God is calling us to be and where God is calling us to go next. Perhaps you could say that interim periods can provide churches with opportunities to find our way home. And so for the next six weeks, several of us will be preaching through Calvary's vision statement. And Jim and I had actually already planned to do this sermon series several months ago, but it seems even more timely for us now to take a closer look at this snapshot of who we say that we are and who we say we aspire to become. And so that very first part of our statement where we focus today is that Calvary Baptist Church is a Christ-centered community of faith. I loved hearing Emily talk with the children, and they knew, they knew what it meant to be a community. They knew that there's something different about us at Calvary and as a church, that Christ is the center of what we do. If we hope to find our way home in the days and weeks ahead, I can't think of a better place for us to begin than here. Because if you and I are striving to become people who daily center ourselves in Christ, I believe that our way home will always be made clear. In John 15, 1 through 8, Jesus paints this picture for us of what a Christ-centered people look like. 
We heard it read earlier, but he says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Now, when you first hear this text, we might think that the thrust of this passage is for us to bear fruit. If we're branches, that's what branches do. But if we look carefully, we will notice that nowhere in this text does it call us to bear fruit. Instead, the challenge that we are given over and over and over again is to abide. The word abide actually appears eight times in only four verses. And any time a word is repeated that often in Scripture, it's our job as careful readers of the text to pay attention. Bearing fruit is this natural result of abiding in Christ, but it's not the starting point. And if we get caught up in trying to bear fruit on our own, we're just not going to make it very far. And what I love is that it's as if Jesus knew we would get confused about that. So he repeats this word, abide, over and over and over again to help us understand. Maybe like some of the teachers this week who repeated the instructions over and over and over again, hoping that the class might finally get it. In some ways, Calvary begins a new season of ministry around this time of year. We just had promotion Sunday last week and welcomed our new kindergartners and our new seventh graders into the youth group. Our Wednesday night activities are starting back in a few weeks. We're recruiting people to help care for our babies and our preschoolers in extended session. Our intergenerational choir has started back as we've already heard and they're always looking for more voices to join them. Life groups will launch at the beginning of September. We have new college and graduate students joining who need spaces to be welcomed into Calvary. We're looking for people to mentor students at West Avenue Elementary School and groups to pack peanut butter and jelly bags to send home with families over the long weekends. And don't worry, you will be hearing about all of these ministries and more in the days and weeks to come. And in many ways, they are the heartbeat of Calvary. But what brings life and breath into each and every one of these ministries is when you and I and all of us together in this place seek to faithfully abide in Christ. I was reminded of that at Truett Seminary's graduation a few weeks ago. The preacher, Deirdre Lanou, said these following words to the graduating class of students who are preparing to serve in ministry all around the world. She said to them, you are not called to be in the world for God. You are called to be in God for the world. You are not called to be in the world for God. You are called to be in God for the world. And Calvary, I would offer these same words to us today. We are not called to be at West Avenue Elementary School for God, to sing in choir for God, to be in the nursery for God, to go to China or Lebanon for God. We are called to be in God so that we can then bear fruit in all of the different spaces to which God calls us. 
with the best of intentions, you and I can try to do great things for God, but our calling is to be in God so that God can do great things in and through us. And that may sound really wonderful and spiritual, but I want to challenge us for a moment to consider what that actually looks like. I mean, what does it really mean for us to abide in God, to center ourselves in God's presence? There's this fascinating article in the New York Times recently called, Do Your Friends Actually Like You? Did anybody see that? As an Enneagram 2, I clicked on it immediately because I had to know, do people like me? So it cites this study in which people were asked to rank the different people in their friend groups on a five-point scale, measuring the closeness of their relationship, with one being, I hardly know this person, to five being, this person is one of my very best friends. And what's interesting is that people's feelings about the level of their friendship were only mutual 53% of the time. But they expected those feelings to be mutual 94% of the time. And so, for instance, someone I may think of as a very dear friend may see me as an acquaintance, or vice versa. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. Ronald Sharp, who's a professor at Vassar College, said, People are so eager to maximize efficiency in relationships today that they've lost touch with what it is to be a friend. The notion of doing nothing but spending time in each other's company has, in a way, become a lost art, replaced by text and tweets. But true friendship is not about what someone can do for you. It's about who and what the two of you become in each other's presence. And as I read this article, I couldn't help but wonder if the same is true about how we relate to God. Is our relationship with God strictly about what God can do for us, or is it about who we can become in God's presence? Have we lost the art of doing nothing but spending time abiding in the company of God? Or have we even learned it to begin with? What does it look like for us to abide with God? Maybe your time of abiding with God happens over those first sips of coffee in the morning before the rush of the day begins. Maybe it happens as yoga, as you focus on your breathing and you center yourself on God's presence with you. Maybe your abiding time happens when you run and everything else fades into the background. Maybe it happens at night as you reflect on the day's events and calm your mind and soul before going to sleep. Maybe it happens here in worship. I couldn't help but just sit and close my eyes as the choir sang earlier and soak in the presence of God in this place. Maybe it happens in nature, on the back porch, in silence, with a journal or a paintbrush a mixing bowl, a shovel, or a baby bottle? How and where and when do you do nothing but abide in Christ? 
and allow Christ to abide in you. Because, friends, the good news of today's scripture passage is that when we abide in Christ, it's always mutual. Not 53% of the time, but 100% of the time. Today's text is a promise that no matter what happens, no matter where the road takes us, and no matter how messy it gets, Christ is already and always faithfully abiding with us. A friend and I were listening to a podcast this week in which someone shared a story about this incredibly difficult season in his life. And he said, if you're listening to my story, and perhaps you find yourself in a similar place, I want you to remember these three things. One, God loves you. Two, you have people who love you. And three, you're going to be okay. And as we were talking about it afterwards and reflecting on what we had heard, my friend looked at me and he said, but what does okay even look like? Because some days for me, okay looks like me freaking out a little bit or lying on the fetal position on the floor. And how in the world is that supposed to be okay? And as we talked more, we, we discerned together that perhaps in different seasons of life, okay will look differently for each of us. And as Calvary goes through different seasons, okay will look differently for us here, too. I believe that today's text reminds us of God's divine okay. It reminds us that God is already faithfully abiding with us, always has been, always will be. And as we abide with Christ and Christ with us, as we walk with one another in this place, all of our branches kind of become intertwined in this strange and beautiful and messy thing called community. Together we each remind each other that God loves us, that we're here for each other, and that together it's going to be okay. At Calvary, this, this is what a Christ-centered community of faith looks like. And to us, it feels like home. In his memoir, Longing for Home, Frederick Buechner writes the following words. He says, I believe that it is when God's power is alive in me and through me that I come closest to being truly home, closest to finding or being found by that holiness that I've always glimpsed in the other homes I have known, but in its fullness was always missing. I cannot claim that I have found the home I long for every day of my life, not by a long shot, but I believe that in my heart I have found and maybe have always known the way that leads to it. I believe that the home we long for and belong to is where Christ is. I believe that home is Christ's kingdom, which exists within us, and among us as we wend our prodigal ways through the world in search of it. Calvary, I believe with every fiber of my being 
that as we abide with Christ and Christ with us, and as we wend our way together, we will always find our way home. Because God loves us more than we could ever even imagine. And we have people who love us. Many of them are sitting beside us in this room today. And everything really is going to be okay. Amen. God, we admit that at the beginning of a busy semester, we are thinking about our to-do list and our responsibilities and everything that's coming up over the next few weeks. And if we're not careful, it could look like we are people who are trying to bear fruit instead of people who are abiding in you. And so I pray that for each and every person here today, you would show us what it looks like for us to abide with you before we do anything else. Show us those spaces where we can encounter you in fresh new ways. And help us to know that that is our calling. That is the starting place of being people who are centered in your presence. Because God, when we are in those spaces, it's then that we can provide fruit, which is never for, for our own benefit, but always for others. It's then that we can reach out to a hand to a friend or neighbor so that they might know your love too and so that they might know that they're not alone. And so wherever we find ourselves as we're sitting in this room today, I pray that you would remind us of your constant, faithful, abiding presence with us always. Amen. So part of our journey in abiding with God is, is responding to what God has already done for us in Christ. And through Christ, God made a way for us to be with him, not only in life, but throughout all eternity. And so if you would like to talk with someone more about what it means to follow Christ and to daily abide with him, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Or maybe you'd like to talk about what it looks like to become part of this community of faith where we seek to abide with Christ together. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. Or maybe you'd like to pray with someone just to be reminded that no matter what's going on in your life this week, God loves you, there are people who love you, and you're going to be okay. So however God leads you to respond, deacons and staff will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to visit with you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
Heavenly Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this opportunity to participate in the ministry of your church, of this church here at this place, through our funds. As we prepare for this unique act of worship through our giving, we remember that we are simply giving back a portion of what you have given us. We heard today that you are our shepherd, our guide, and our vine, our source of life, the place in which we must abide. And Lord, you are also our provider and the one to whom we owe all praise for our daily bread. And so as we give this offering, we thank you for all the gifts you have given us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
folks I would like to introduce you to. This is Elise and Lori Jones, and they are new to Waco from LaGrange, Texas. Um, Lori is a student at Truett Seminary, and Elise just started at the Garland School of Social Work this year. And they have already just jumped into the life of Calvary, and I've gotten to see them in so many different spaces around here, and it's been a joy to get to know you all a little better. When I asked them some things that they're passionate about, Elise said that she thought about this for quite a while. Everybody knows they're going to have to answer this question, but she said, really, what, what is me is, is relationship building and getting to know other people, which is probably why you're at the Garland School of Social Work. That's a great place to be. And Rory said uh, Texas Rangers baseball, which I, I thought there might be a few fans out here as well. Um, something else unique, they actually served in camp ministry, and that's been an important part of their journey as well. So they are here um, by statement of faith and prior baptism, and we are excited to welcome them. So we have something we would like to say to you in response to your decision. So that wherever God calls you, whenever God calls you, and however God calls you, you will be in God, ready for the world that awaits. Amen. One heart, one spirit, one voice to praise you. Are the body of Christ. One goal, one vision to see you exalted. 